This podcast covers a murder that occurred in 1992. It is a true story, and while I have relied heavily on police reports and public documents, the opinions of the host and interviewees are simply that, opinions, not facts. The credibility of the witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Quick note. I've been advised that Ken Jr. and Ken Sr. aren't technically junior and senior, as they have different middle names. But there will be points where I will continue to refer to them as such for the purposes of clarity. Arnold's cousin had sent the FOIA request for the police report on the death of Arnold Holmes. Once he had a chance to go through it, he called me and we went over what he found in the report. As a law enforcement officer himself, this was a chance for him to be on the other side of the process, learning the facts about a case from the report like I or any other interested party would do. Received the case file today. I was actually a little surprised to have gotten it that quick because um, I was told it wouldn't be mailed out until I wouldn't get it until next week. But anyways, got it. And I kind of spent my day working through it and looking it over. Um, the first page that I got in this, though, it was interesting. Um, there's a, and, and I've never done one of these before. I'd never seen one of these before because um, I'm usually on the other side of it. Mm. But there's like a cover page in here that says, To whom it may concern, uh, the investigation into the homicide of Arnold Willard Holmes is still being conducted. The investigative facts tend to show that Kenneth Sidney Varney, at whose residence the incident occurred and who also was found deceased due to self-inflicted wounds, was the person responsible for the death of Arnold. Uh, There's not been an official ruling in this case as of this time. As the chief investigating officer, I can assure you that there are no known facts to implicate anyone other than Kenneth Sidney Varney at this time. Um, And that was entered December 15th, 1992. Um, The case, at least what I have of it, uh, it ends right there, and there's not a pickup until 2011. Um, There is an acknowledgement made in the case file that the original case file and unfortunately, the original evidence from this case has disappeared and its whereabouts is not known. What? It says that in the file? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. A big question mark that came out of this. I don't necessarily think it's a matter of who killed Arnold, but I'll run it by you and you tell me what you think. All right. Um, so, <clears throat> my uncle was not the first one to find Arnold dead. Um, it was actually Ken's son that found Arnold dead initially. And he had left the house to go up to the store in Ashton and use the payphone to call for help. Uh, when my uncle came through Ashton and saw him there, that's what he was doing. And that is cataloged by and proven by the uh, the call that he made to MSP, mm. which the call was received at MSP Rockford. Mm-hmm. And there is a, there's an actual transcript of the call in the file. Oh, um, okay. Which is 
it's kind of neat to look back and see that. I mean, he, yeah. the, the record keeping was pretty good. Um, so he called and then waited there at the Ashton store at the, right next to the fire department there for troopers to get on scene. Did they instruct him to do that or he chose to stay they, there? Okay. They were asking for directions and he told them, I'll just, just come here and I will take you there. All right. So that may, everything makes sense so far. All right. Mm-hmm, because getting there was not an easy feat. This place is sitting on 20 acres off of a seasonal road. Okay. So <clears throat> rather than trying to tell them where to go, he says, just meet me here. I'll take you there. Okay. Well, so in the meantime, Mark goes down and he finds the trailer is dark. Um, there's some question as to whether or not there was actually any utilities hooked up to the trailer, potentially no power, but it's mentioned through the reports that there were lights in the trailer and a TV. So I don't know if there's generator or what, mm. um, but Mark found Arnold's car in the driveway and found the trailer dark. Uh, and I think Mark knew before he even got there that something was wrong. That was his purpose for going because Arnold had been gone so long and Kathy was worried. Right. So Mark had gone there, found the car, found the trailer dark. He got out, walked around, yelled, nobody answered. And then he found Arnold's body laying uh, very near uh, between the front door and the car. Um, And then he ran, got back in the truck, went to Kathy's, told Kathy that Arnold had been shot. And he just assumed that he didn't know. Um, and told Kathy to call. So Kathy called the, the what would be the equivalent at the time of Osceola County's 911. They didn't have 911 yet, but the call was received through the sheriff's office. Okay, right. And, and they already knew that uh, MSP Rockford had dispatched Reed City cars to that location. So right, because they dispatched for they dispatched yep. for the whole area, but I don't think they dispatched. They didn't dispatch city, but they could have heard the traffic um, of state. So yeah, that's probably there was no difference or variation in bandwidth at the time. So I think that they were scanning each other's channels yep. and were well aware. Yep. Yep. Uh, which is not the case now. Um, <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. What Osceola County did at that time is they dispatched an ambulance and what I thought was odd was Leroy Fire Rescue because it's just down the road from Ashton Fire Department. Um, but evidently Leroy Fire Rescue got sent down there. Mm. Weird. Okay. Uh, so in the meantime, after Kathy made the call, Mark returned to the scene with Kathy. And at that time, troopers were already there and would not let them back right. to the area. Um, so what I've read in the report is that when Ken Jr. found the body... Uh, he did not initially know who it was, and his girlfriend thought it was maybe his dad that had passed out drunk in the front yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seemed to know something was amiss, so he sent her in the house. He went in the house, grabbed a flashlight, went back out, and saw that it was Arnold. He knelt down to check him and said that when he rolled him up on his shoulder, he was already cold and stiff. Um, huh. in his, in his, yeah. What ended up happening here, so they, um, they didn't know where Ken Sr. was. And uh, it, it was interesting because they had evidently Ken Jr. take them down to the scene. And he told them that he found Arnold dead and thought that is and he had told dispatch that I can't find my dad. I don't know where he is. And uh, in the transcript, it says he, quote, flipped. I think my dad flipped out, quote, unquote. Um, ah. So there's possibly some information that was lost in, in, in the chaos of getting cars out there and finding out what was going on. But um, 
the post, the guys that came out from the post, uh, actually George Pratt was uh, amongst the first responders because they called him right away, mm-hmm. knowing they had a homicide. So they got out there, uh, and they treated the they treated the incident as though Ken Senior was still in the house. Um, so they had they were there they were on scene a significant length of time before anybody even approached the actual crime scene. Well, where was the, um, where was the, I thought he, uh, he sent his girlfriend in the house or did she get back in the car and go when he they, made the yeah, call? She, okay. Yeah. They went together back up to okay. make the call. All right. But he told them that he couldn't find his dad. His dad wasn't in the house. They treated it as though, I think they believed, at least that's one of the supplements from the canine handler that was there, that Ken was in the house. Um, so they never, I, I, it's just one of those things, I guess it's a fluid situation. They, they must just not have asked him or didn't hear him tell them, Hey, he's not in the house. Did, so, but he, but he told him on the, I don't know. Wait, yeah. that doesn't make sense yeah. though. Because if he, if they don't know he's dead, they think a live person's in the house. Yes. Well, what do they think? Are they afraid he's going to come out shooting or yes. so that's the reason why they're they're bringing more people yes. in to clear the place yep. first. Okay, got it. Yep. That makes sense. So they actually waited until they had two troopers there from the emergency services unit, which is their tech team. Okay. Uh, and a dog handler that I believe came from the Nuevo Post, if I read that correctly. Uh, and it took, I mean, from initial call to them getting there, it took some time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, in the meantime, when uh, Leroy had, Leroy's rescue unit and an Osceola County ambulance had gotten on scene. They kind of realized, hey, nobody's actually confirmed that Arnold's dead. <laughs> so they went up the driveway um, using the darkness for cover or concealment and got into the driveway and then used the car as cover and were able to kind of get to Arnold and check him for a pulse. Uh, George Pratt and uh, Sergeant Tillman who, of course, has long since retired as well, uh, and determined he was dead, and then they backed out. Um, waited huh. until they got emergency services troopers there and the dog handler there. At that time, they went back to the house. Um, George, uh, they secured the scene. George actually left the scene, went back to Reed City, and secured a search warrant to get into the trailer. Oh, okay, that's uh, good. <clears throat> so then they went back get, with the search warrant. They cleared the trailer. He wasn't in the trailer. Um, you, the dog evidently picked up track uh, and went about 60 yards from the house, and they found Ken out in the uh, underneath the, the apple tree dead. Um, but that was at 1.30 in the morning when they actually found him dead. So the, the time lapse is, is very significant. Yeah, and you know, I, as you're ta- saying all these things that were occurring, it uh, now I know why you're saying I think he did a good job because there was a lot going on and a lot of questions yeah. they didn't have answered. So I get... I get why it, that must have sort of been a really exciting, not it's a bad word to use, but an exciting scene because you don't really know what you have. So what, so then they find him and um, when they see him, are they, uh, does it sound in the report like they're thinking, oh, this is self-inflicted? Yeah. Yep. Uh, the report indicates that they found him in a, it tells, you know, which direction his head was. And he was found supine with the shotgun lane nearby, uh, a double barrel 16 gauge shotgun. Um, there was a length of tree branch, the apple tree limb that he had apparently used to stick into the trigger guard. Um, he was somehow able to discharge both triggers. So both, he got both barrels. Uh, and the, one of the things I found really curious, really weird. And they actually, when they went to do the autopsy, he noted this as well. Uh, if he was fully clothed, but he went out where they found him, he had 
removed his shoes and set his shoes off to the side. Do you think he used his toe to do whatever he needed to do with the gun without picturing no, it? No, I think, I think he used the stick. See, I don't know. Um, I I can't even picture. Is this a long gun or a short? Obviously, it's a long yeah, gun, it's right? A long, it's a long firearm. I mean, it's a double barrel shotgun, so it's a full length, a full length firearm. Um, and he would not to shoot himself in the chest with that gun. I don't know that he'd have been able to do that without some type of assistance, like the stick. Um, but the stick was actually found in his hand still, and uh, there was um, residue like bark and wood in the trigger guard from the stick. Hmm. So they're, they, it sounds like they're 100% confident that's how he did it. Um, but then when they got him down for autopsy, uh, they had remarked that his, his socks were remarkably clean, whereas the rest of his clothing was not. Uh, and they'd remarked that there were grass stains on the balls of his feet, but the rest of his socks were remarkably clean. And I thought, that's just really weird why he would go out there and take his shoes off and then shoot himself like that and put clean socks on to do it. I don't know if he took the shoes off and he stood there a minute or yeah or walked maybe a couple feet or if he was kind of contemplating maybe and panicked i don't know uh the guy couldn't read or write he never left a note um so yeah it's their mysteries that he took with him to the grave wow was he on any medication was he was did you find out if that diagnosis supposedly was true that we had heard about the only thing that it, the only thing in the case file it mentions about his health generally is that he was involved in some type of a building collapse in Saginaw uh, and could not work any longer. He had long-term disabilities and pain from being injured, and he was working through the process of getting Social Security for that and was not being very successful in it. Um, and But that's as far as Ken Jr. knows when he was asked about this. He knew his dad to take some type of a pain medication sometimes but not frequently. Okay. So um, he wasn't on any... Says about his health. Yeah, so uh, no weird antipsychotics or anything that could no, have... Nothing, for... No psychotropic drugs, nothing like that. Uh, hmm. It remarks in there, Ken, Ken was a was known virulent drunk, um, but he was so broke that he could not afford to buy the beer. So in, in the end here, he wasn't even drinking because he couldn't afford it. So they didn't even find any alcohol on him that day. No, his uh, his blood alcohol from toxicology is zero point zero zero. Huh. Um, the socks is really. <laughs> it's gonna bother me now. The socks are gonna bother me, and the shoes being off. Was there anyone in the report that that uh, saw either either two men, deceased men, anywhere earlier in the day or around that nope. time? Nope. No, there's not. Um, the only person that, that is in this report that saw Arnold prior is uh, Kathy. I wonder if they were there arguing for any extended period of time. It, it almost seems that way. Um, and the problem is one of Kathy's big hangups with this and one of the reasons that she gave very early on, we're talking within a week of this homicide, she was telling Pratt that she did not accept the conclusion that Ken was responsible for this for much the same reasons that she told you. She just didn't feel that Varney would do it. Hmm. Um, Kathy's thing was that there was, uh, she knew how much money that Arnold had in his wallet that day because she saw him count it. Mm -hmm. And she maintains that he wouldn't have bought anything or gone anywhere without her knowing. But those of us that knew Arnold know better because Arnold was running around on her and there's a lot of things she didn't know. Right. 
I covered this in the last episode, but I want to be clear. Kathy did not learn about this infidelity until after her husband died, though there were family members who knew about it. In all of our lives, our opinions about people, places, and things are colored by our individual perceptions, coupled with the facts that we know to be true. When it comes to what investigators do, they very much understand this, and they know that every piece of information that they get will in some way be colored by the perception of the individual giving them the information. That's why it's always helpful to have as many people as possible give witness statements. It is always the collection of these statements and the evidence that reveals what occurred, not unlike a puzzle, where the image comes together only after you get the majority of pieces put into place. Yeah, it's always good to actually have the facts in front of you, especially if you've been hearing stories your whole life and you've never, you don't have, you know, that's all you have. Yeah, and believe me, there were a lot of stories growing up and uh, with this happening and as close as my family was to Arnold at the time, I mean, it cast kind of a shadow. It, it is concerning to me that, that, that the evidence has been lost. And, and uh, when I explain that to you here in a second, you'll understand why. <laughs> oh, gosh. Because there was, amongst the homicide, there was another crime committed here. Oh, great. And I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that we're well, well beyond the statute of limitations for it now. But nonetheless, it would be worth at least somebody having a look at it. Yeah, that, this case is very interesting, even if it's you know, likely a murder-suicide. It's a very interesting case. I, the first thing that jarred me was him, you saying he was stiff, because how, how long does it generally take for a rigor mortis to set in? Um, I think it's two to four hours, I think. Hmm. I'd have to double-check, but I believe it's about two to four hours. Well, maybe that's within the time frame if they got there dark, because it doesn't sound like they got there much behind your, bro- your uncle. Uh, uncle. Yeah, it, I would say my estimation would be there couldn't have been more than 20 minutes between them. And we know he got there what time? It was later, right? Nine something? Yeah, was it? I, I think it was around 9, 930. <clears throat> um, the call was made at 9.08 p.m. <sighs> so Arnold, it very possibly, most probably was stiff by then because we're talking probably dead around three hours at that point. Hmm. So that, do you, I guess, I guess, did the son say anything about when the last time he had seen his father was anywhere in the report or talked to him? Well, he, he had mentioned in reading his interview, he had mentioned he was up in Talcaska that day. Um, he has a daughter from a previous marriage and he was returning his daughter to her mother in Calcasca. Uh, and then he left there and went across the street to his ex-mother-in-law. And while visiting with her, he had remarked he hadn't seen his dad in a couple weeks and that he would have to check on him. But we know that that's not the case because he tells um, George that he's been staying there every night for at least three weeks. Right, and that's what Kathy said, too, that she thought that they, right? Didn't she say that she thought that they had been staying there? Yep. The, and they had the been staying there, unbeknownst to, to Arnold and Kathy at the time, but yes. And uh, in reading through this, he was he was working at Berkey's Waterfront in Cadillac at the time. The date of the homicide is October 19th. And he told investigators originally that he was at work. Um, and then come to find out his boss said he was not at work on that day. And I thought, um, well, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. But then later on, they, re- they 
they established that the boss was mistaken. He had done a shift change and was actually there working that day. Okay. So yeah, it's uh, the, the 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 call in itself is just strange. It's a, it's a, it's just like reading a script, really. Yeah. It says at nine oh eight p.m. a telephone call was received by the MSP Rockford Regional Dispatch Center. That's why Reed City didn't get it. It's the Regional Dispatch Center. Okay. <laughs> um, from a caller who reported a murder at the above location. And then it goes on, Dispatcher, State Police Rockford answering for Reed City. Yes, uh, um, I don't know how to word it. I guess I need to report a murder. Uh, a murder, question mark? Yeah. Okay, where is it? Uh, two miles east of Ashton on 185th Avenue, uh, third road down, third, third driveway down, or I can just meet you in Ashton. I'm in Ashton. Who was murdered? Um, Arnold Holmes. And then it says, uh, Arnold Holmes, question mark? Yeah. Okay, that's two miles. Meet me in Ashton. Where in Ashton? I'm right at the corner at a payphone. Okay, what's your name? Ken Varney. Yeah, with a V as in Victor. Right. How old are you? I'm 22. How old is uh, Arnold? I don't know. Uh, he's the landlord. And also, more or less, he kicked my dad out and my dad flipped as far as I know. I don't have any fucking idea. I wasn't at home all day. All right stop there for a minute because i want you to keep going but how did he know that um arnold kicked him out um it's it goes on to say through their investigation and talking to kathy and even my family knew they had just returned from a hunting trip in colorado mm -hmm. and and arnold was talking about this on the hunting trip he had been saying um he'd been pressuring Ken for at least a month telling okay. him he had to find somewhere else to go. All right. <clears throat> he hadn't necessarily kicked him out, but was telling him you need to make other arrangements. Mm -hmm. um, Ken had told Arnold he would be out by the first of the month, and he didn't end up being out by then. Uh, so Arnold had returned from Colorado and had then had gone down there, presumably to, to be a little more stern in the message that he needed to leave, which is probably the catalyst for the whole thing. Right. But it's interesting that the kid immediately is in that kind of shaky moment. He's already outlining the motive. <laughs> you know, he's already telling. You know, he's he's uh, he figured it out in his head. He's clearly put it together. If if this is in fact a murder suicide, he's put it together already. Which means he knew that there was probably volatility between that was stewing, you know, brewing, or he knew his father or what he was capable of. But he had clearly put it together that early. Yeah, and it's weird because later on in the investigation, he'll he remarks several times that he doesn't know his dad never talked to him about it. But if his dad never talked to him about it, then how would he know? I, I yeah, I don't know. How can you? I mean, he was literally attributing that as the motive. If he's saying yeah, he flipped I mean, out, he's that at that point. Yeah. So if they didn't talk, although we're talking about twenty two year old, and they're not the best. You know, they're not really great at at articulating what they're trying to say a lot. So okay, so yeah, go ahead. How do you know he's been murdered? Yeah, good question. Because I've, <laughs> I've seen a dead body and he's cold laying there. Okay, where is he in the residence? Uh, right outside the trailer. Okay, what's the address there? Where's he at? Um, it, it redacts what he says after that. It's blocked out. Okay, is there a phone number there? No, I'm at a pay phone. At my residence? No. No, I mean the phone number there so someone can call you there. It says outgoing calls only, but the phone number is, and it blocks it out. Okay, what's your father's name? Kenneth Sidney Varney. Okay, uh, you're at the payphone in Leroy? No, in Ashton. Ashton. It's Leroy mailing address, but it's right by Ashton. Okay, where's the payphone there in Ashton? Right at the corner of the blinking light, you know where the Ashton store is. The payphone's right by the fire barn. 
he says, okay, I'll be waiting for them there. Okay, goodbye. And the dispatcher goes, um. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy. Yeah, that's, I mean, I I feel for the, I've never found a dead body. I would, he did better than I probably would, so good for him. But um, he's, when she asked him, are you, um, how do you know it's a murder? Because that was the next question I was going to ask you. And he says he's, uh, he's cold. Well, he was laying in snow, right? I mean, of course he's cold. But, I mean, it must have been obvious that it was full rigor, you know, it must have been clearly obvious. He didn't say anything about blood or any shots or anything. Not in the initial call, but later on he would remark that he saw a wound on Arnold's forehead and he thought he had been shot in the head. Um, It turned out that he had some abrasions on his face from falling after being shot, presumably, and he had attributed it to that. So um, in the medical examiner's report, the doctor indicates that Arnold likely likely maintained consciousness 30 to 45 seconds after being shot. The bullet had severed... uh, it transected his cervical spinal cord and the, it would have paralyzed his it rendered him unable in, in, in to breathe essentially uh, well that's awful yeah it, yeah that's a shitty way to go out that's if you know and it. you can't move and you're oh. so yep. but i don't the uh, how what do the abrasions sound like on his face um from falling an abrasion on his forehead and an abrasion on his nose well i guess if he went straight down face first yeah and he did he went face down hmm. um second shot or the first shot caught him in the shoulder and ended up um lodged at the top of his humerus the second one went in from a from what it sounds like from a uh, it traveled at an upward trajectory uh, hit him at the bottom of the shoulder and traveled up uh and ultimately lodged in his spine hmm. um but it would have, I mean, a, a clipped in spinal cord, it would have, he would have been immediately quadriplegic. <sighs> so he would have fallen right where he stood. Um, where does it, it sound like? Where does it sound turned, like he was, where does it sound like he was shot from? It sounds like shot right from the trailer door. Okay, so that makes uh, His body is resting probably five to seven feet off the front door and maybe another ten feet from the car. So they were fighting. They had to be fighting. If if you know if he, he I would think he I must have turned around when when um, Arnold went to leave. He turned around, went and got his gun and came and, and did it right. Uh, I mean, that's what it sounds like as Arnold was walking away because they believe based on how the shots hit him with his back turned, they believe he had turned to look over his shoulder to the left. So he had probably heard Ken come out the door. Um, and I do believe Kathy when she says Arnold wouldn't have turned his back on anyone he thought was a threat to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that he didn't think Varney would do something like that. I think it just means that Arnold didn't, uh, not, not that he didn't feel Varney was capable of violence, but that he didn't feel like it was a serious enough threat to take At that him. moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, do we know? Um, this is, you may not know, and this is maybe a dumb question, but it couldn't have been too long that he ran back in the house and went and grabbed the gun. I mean, did he just leave, have his gun laying there? Is was he, the, or is he not the? T- I mean, you know. Interesting. Lo- it, it's a very interesting deal. Um, there were, I believe, uh, let me see, 
There should have been at the time a total of three firearms in the house. Two were recovered. There was a 22 rifle recovered from the house. The 16 gauge that he'd used to shoot himself was recovered from the house. And then the 22 pistol was never, ever found. Okay. Well, I take that back. I can't say that. And I'll tell you why I can't say that. Um, there was an empty holster found in the house laying on the bed, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's how they knew there was likely a pistol involved. Uh, and then, um, they asked, uh, Ken Jr. Right. Uh, how many, what, what kind of guns were in the house? And he told them he omitted that there was a 22 pistol in the house. He did not initially admit it was there, mm -hmm. which is, this is strange. Right. Uh, that's they, not they good. found out the way they found out about the 22 was my uncle Mark telling them that, yeah, He's got a twenty-two pistol that he got from his ex-wife, who and she got it from her parents, who are now deceased. And it was that holster that was laying there. Is it belongs to that gun? Uh, that's what. The, yes, that, that's what that gun was kept in. Okay, what happened so to when it? <laughs> they, when they confronted Ken Junior about that, he said, "Oh yeah, I forgot that that was it, but I haven't seen it in a long time." Was his answer? He went back in that house. We know that, right? Mm -hmm. To get a flashlight. Yep. Did they check him? Did anybody check him for having a weapon? Uh, it doesn't At the like scene? It, no. no. Okay, that's a problem right there. That that yep. little detail is problematic. Yep. Um, there, uh, you know, like I said, the original case file's gone. Um, there's a lot of stuff I don't have here. I know that Kathy offered a $1,500 reward for information that was kept in the trust of a lawyer's office in Reed City. Um, I can tell you unequivocally, anytime there's a Anytime that there's a solicitation for tips and a monetary reward offered, people, especially up there, crawl out of the freaking woodwork because yeah. they just can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. And there is absolutely zero information in this case file of any tips ever being received. And I know that there had to be. Huh. Um, when you so. When you asked for your FOIA request, what did you did you end up asking for everything they had in Lansing or the whole I, thing? I I asked for everything that they had in Lansing as well as anything that was remaining at the post. What specifically said, and I and I can let me find this first page here so I can tell you. Um, it says that the. Uh, I wonder if Osceola County maintains any reports on this. They were there, you said, right? Uh, it, I, it doesn't mention any any deputies or any staff of the sheriff's office as actually having been directly involved with the scene. Um, if they were there at all, they were probably there in a support role for like perimeter or traffic blo blocking roads because they're not. They're just not in any of this paperwork. So they're not mentioned as assisting at all. No. No. Okay. Because sometimes they do canvassing and stuff, and was that done by Detective Pratt also? I'm sorry, what was that? Sometimes they do, like, canvassing and stuff, so they'll have reports from yeah, that kind this of... this is such a rural area, there was only, I think, one other house immediately to the north of there, and everything else on this road, I believe, to my recollection, is seasonal. So, you know, there's nothing in there about any tips as far as... that's uh -uh, that's strange. Nothing. Um, now, when you, having gone through, I'm just thinking about this now, so I want to remember it. Um, did they verify the, his alibi as far as the young Varney that, that he had just got there? 
I mean, did they did they make sure they checked that he was in Kalkaska that day, and had they? They did follow up on this, but these were things that George didn't establish until it, we're talking four to five days after the fact. So that so he definitely was not there any earlier than when he's saying. Because that would be my you know, that would be my other question. You, if, it doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like it. So it sound you're saying it. They feel confident that young Varney, the young one, um, did yes. not get there until when he found the body. That he wasn't there earlier in the day. It, yeah, there's no, there's never any mention in here made that they suspect he was there at any time prior. Okay. Um, it sounds like he left that day at like five in the morning. But it does say in here, uh, it's fr- it's from George too. It's his it's his supplement. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that uh, I believe I've got to I've got to find it to read it verbatim. But I believe it says there are forty pages of this report that are unaccounted for. Oh, what? Yeah. Well, he says that in his little intro. You mean? Yes. Yeah, he says that in in the first few pages of the supplements from 2011. And he's call he uses the word unaccounted for? Uh, let me see. I'll find it specifically. And does he say says, what they uh, what it covers those 40 pages? As of this time, the evidence once held in this case and neither open or closed UD14s, property reports, receipts can be located for those items. Oh, so so is it saying that there those are mostly property reports in the forty pages? Um, it's not just the property reports; it's the evidence itself. And there's another spot in here where he says that as well. But I don't understand why forty pages of reports are missing. What the, what the hell is that? What is that? I think that's the original case file. The original case jacket. He remarks in here several times is not is not cannot be recovered. Huh? That's strange. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there was a see that's why that sort of stuff should always be digitized because there yeah. you know there have been floods and things like that you, uh, there was there I know there was water damage in a lot of Osceola County reports at one point but that's mm-hmm. strange that reports would be they're not generally in the same place as evidence is it reports right uh, no no they're not especially fire firearms would not firearms would be kept locked um in a in some type of a vault or secured setting um especially slugs that you'd remove from a body those would not be kept with a report at least that's not the practice at my agency and i can't see where there would be any sense in doing that anywhere yeah i wonder so that evidence would have been at the um held at the reed city post I think te- at least temporarily. Huh. Well, that's disappointing. And the, uh, the reason why it's disappointing, because I worry ev- every other case I look at in this area now, how much is missing from those, you know? I mean, one case is stuff. How does that just disappear yeah. unless there was a... How would you ever know? No, you would not. And you're lucky because you've got it written down there for you. Like, he noted it really well. And it, that, that to me, sounds like that was something that happened that was out of his hands and didn't sound too happy about it either. You know, if he's yeah. noting it, like, I'm just, for the record, I'm yeah. going on record, you know? It says here, um, now I think around this time, it would have been 2011, let me see, I think the current current director of the Michigan State Police came on board with the current governor, and that's when the reorganization occurred and the posts were closed and created as uh, detachments. Right. 
Um, I believe about the time that he's saying he can't find this stuff, this process would have been in motion. Hmm, now that so makes sense. Possibly purging the Post's archives. and Because I know when I talked to George back in 2006, or 2005, 2006, that case file sat in his office. Well, but here's the thing. Why? If he thinks, like he says, that in that intro that you read, that it is most likely, and they found nothing to suggest other than murder-suicide, why isn't that... Why Why is it still sitting there? Why isn't it all archived and set aside? Well, I don't understand. I don't, I don't really, I don't really to this day, I couldn't tell you why they have still, they've still not closed this case. I don't understand that. Um, because I, I'm... And why wouldn't he yeah, talk to you about it? You tried to talk to him about it, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did. And he treated it as though he needed to keep certain case facts confidential. Yeah. Which, in reading what is here... There's absolutely no reason, no reason to do that. That would be the case. That sounds like someone who's not positively sure, doesn't it? I mean... Yeah, to a degree, yeah. I mean, and that's the end of his first paragraph of his opening page. There has not been an official ruling in this case as of this time. Um, and then his supplement here from May 23rd, 2011. Uh, this is the first page. This case has remained dormant since 1993. Because the weapon was entered in lean NCIC, it was believed to have been an inactive file. A gun, a Ruger 22 caliber revolver, serial number 111959, could be placed in the custody of Kenneth Sidney Varney, who committed suicide at the murder scene when the hit was received on 5-13-2011 by the Dawson County Georgia Sheriff's Department. The original case jacket could not be located and has not been to this date. Okay, I'm confusing. What the hell is the Georgia thing? What's Well, <laughs> that's this is where this gets weird. Um, so they were never able to produce that firearm. They'd gone back and they'd looked. They'd gone over the area with infrared uh, um, imaging, and they had identified multiple pieces of metal in that swamp hole, but no guns. Um, I guess so I'll fast forward a little bit to 2011, what I've read here, and where my mind is at with this now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in... in there was a follow-up interview with Ken Jr. at the state police post that was recorded by George. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have the transcript here for it. And he confronts Ken several times. He says, did you take anything out of the house when you left? He says, not that I recall. <gasps> well, either you did or you freaking oh, did. Oh, that, that's, that's sketchy. I, I mean, that, that's like when I'm on a traffic stop. Any drugs in the car? Not that I know of. Yeah, that's I very mean, sketchy. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So... You know, not that I can recall. And he asks him several times, and then he does very, very pointed says, um, and I and I would I can pull the I can search through the paperwork here and find it. But he says to him essentially, I understand this would have been, you know, a very traumatic experience for you. He's like I, I, you know, he tells him you're not in any trouble if you did. I just need the gun for testing, and I could understand if you took it trying to help your dad out. He's like, but I need that gun. And Varney sticks to his story. He says, nope. Didn't take it. Actually, his answer is nuh-uh. Okay, well, I'm, now I have a problem. Because if George is specifically telling him, I don't care if you took the gun, but I need the gun because we can't close this case, just tell me yeah, and you're George not in trouble. giving him a, a period of amnesty. Like, hey, I just need this freaking gun so I can close this thing. So, so he, yeah, he asks him and he, he won't cop to it. So... 
this is what I found. This is the discrepancy that I have isolated in this. And I would be surprised if George didn't know this. Uh, but at the same time, this came up, uh, you know, 20, almost 20 years after the fact. Uh, maybe he didn't make the connection. So uh, Ken Jr. was in the reserves when the murder happened. He had started the process of going active duty in September uh, and was slated to go active duty Army. And he did so quite quite soon after the, the murder and the suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, in a follow-up interview with Detective Sergeant Pratt, Varney's girlfriend, who he did end up marrying, produced a Georgia address. I believe that Ken Jr. was stationed, probably uh, moved to Georgia. Okay. Uh, there's, there's several military installations there. Could have been anywhere. I believe he was moved to Georgia because she produced a Georgia address upon a follow-up interview. The gun, they received an NCIC lean hit on the gun in Dawson County, Georgia. The person that had the gun had gotten it from a pawn shop. There's still more? Oh, God. It says, The original entry of the Ruger handgun was made as a result of the investigation of the murder of Arnold Holmes, who was killed by a 22 caliber bullet, and it was determined that Kenneth Sidney Varney, who rented from Holmes, Holmes was found dead, was also found dead by suicide with 16 blah blah blah. It was learned through investigation that Varney had obtained a 22 caliber handgun from Sandra Peters who lived with Kenneth S. Varney at one time, and that gun belonged to one of her parents, Russell or Violet Yvonne, who were deceased at the time. This pistol that George got from Georgia, Mm -hmm. the ATF was able to track that original transaction back to Russell Yvonne. It was purchased by him in Saginaw from a company in City, Missouri. Um, they tested it. Dis- oh, they can't. Yeah, well, this is the real bitch of it right here. Those slugs that they took out of Arnold are gone. So they were able to fire projectiles from that pistol, but they've got nothing to compare them to. Oh, so by the time they found the gun, the... Oh, dang it. (gasps) That's irritating as hell. All that work to track the gun down, and then they're missing. Oh. 
2011, 19 years after the fact, they came as close as they were ever going to to putting a period on the end of this shit sandwich. <sighs> and that stuff, I mean, who knows where that stuff's at? Will it ever turn up? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but because they could not definitive, definitively attach that weapon to the homicide, they returned the weapon to the lawful owner in Georgia, and they don't even have the gun in Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you starting to get a clearer picture of why this case is where it is? In the next episode, you'll hear more, including a call I got one night from a law enforcement officer the day I tried to text Mr. Varney's son to ask about the gun. Stay tuned. <laughs>